Church of Christ presents In These Days, the reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, February 18th, 2024. Please pray with me. God of all times and this time, you who hold time itself within your own eternity, open our hearts and minds to you. Amen. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth. In those days, it's such a good shorthand. It means not just when something happened according to the calendar, but what kind of time it was when that thing happened. In those days, when milk only cost 83 cents and you could add a loaf of bread and still pay with a $1 bill. In those days, when kids played outside after school and all the moms in the neighborhood had an eye out for each other's children. In those days when kids drank from hoses and no one worried about what diseases they were getting. When the economy was booming and the suburbs were growing and life was sweet and good. Those halcyon days when all was right with the world. Except those days, shorthand, might also be a code word for those days when the classified sections of the newspaper were separated into men's jobs and women's jobs when LGBTQ people were expected to be silent and invisible, when the word sundown spoken to black travelers in certain towns in Oregon could instill very realistic terror. In those days, we've seen the way populist appeal to a nostalgically remembered past obscures the whole picture and plays on people's vulnerable longing for an earlier time that did hold sweetness before insidiously suggesting that the very people who were excluded from that sweetness are at fault for stealing that past. Whose days matter and whose days are being recounted? In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee. In those days, when the voices of the prophets had been silent for 500 years, when the heavens had closed and there seemed to be no direct communication to God for the people, when the people believed that prophecy would be restored and that God would speak directly to them again at the end times, any time now. In those days when the temple, which had been rebuilt on a pared down scale after the exile, had just been rebuilt again refurbished and made one of the most magnificent buildings in the world. But by Herod the Great, that ambivalent figure, ambivalent at best, whose ancestors had converted to Judaism just a generation or two before, who rebuilt the temple, sure, but introduced Greek innovations into the holy city of Jerusalem. He built a theater and an amphitheater and a hippodrome but he kept the peace with Rome by being subservient to the point of putting the symbol of the emperor on the gates to the temple itself. In those days, after Herod died and his kingdom was divided and each of its four sections was led by a leader even more beholden to Rome than Herod the Great had been, 
In those days, when the temple priests and religious elite were caught between their commitment to God and their need to curry favor with their Roman overlords to keep themselves safe. In those days, when the Pax Romana meant that roads were good and travel to Jerusalem for the pilgrimage festivals had never been easier, when the water supply in the city was safe and plentiful, and when there were monumental building programs and the rich and well-connected kept getting richer and the poor kept getting more heavily taxed, more burdened, and poorer. When Rome's domination was certain, but the local client kings were uneasily eyeing each other. Into that world and those days of wealth and poverty, triumphalism and precarity, John came in all his wild man oddness, calling people to repent and be baptized. And in those days, Jesus appeared out of Galilee to be baptized, to be pronounced blessed by a voice coming out of the ripped open heavens, those heavens that had been silent for so long. He was driven into the wilderness to be tested by Satan, accompanied by wild beasts, and tended to by angels. And then to announce that now, now, in his days, the time was fulfilled and the kingdom of God had come near, asking people to turn again and believe it. Those were the days into which Jesus spoke. It was in that kind of time, filled with security and precarity, promise and threat, that the kingdom of God was announced as nearby. A, a time that has resonance with our time, when there is abundance and security and poverty and precarity, and the future feels uncertain. This is how Jesus embodied that kingdom, by healing, feeding, teaching, and welcoming, and blessing disciples to live in the same way, more committed to loving others than to protecting themselves, not because they were meant to despise themselves, but because there is no need to compete and compare when you have already been loved and welcomed. There is only the work of being love in the world, listening to that voice pouring out of the ripped open heavens, saying, Beloved. In those days, all of which makes me wonder, how will we look back and talk about these days that we are living through now and how we're living through them, both as individuals and as a congregation? Jesus, who theology and tradition tell us had no personal sins to turn away from, no personal need for a baptism of repentance, that same Jesus got in line with all the people who'd come out from Jerusalem and the whole region of Judea, a whole crowd of people. Jesus got in line with them and stepped down into the river and was baptized by John. I wonder why. I think we can understand this as an act of solidarity, a proclamation of Jesus's solidarity with all the people. This story of Jesus's baptism is also a reminder. It reminds us that, yes, we may have personal failings from which to turn away, to repent, 
personal failings of behavior which we seek to leave behind, personal failings of short-sightedness or narrowness of mind that we want to turn away from and see the world anew. But repentance is not just an individual practice. It's a corporate one. Jesus' baptism reminds us of this. It's a recognition of the things that our communities, our family, our church, our nation have done and left undone. A recognition that together we need to repent, to change our hearts and minds and go in a new and fresh and beloved direction. Jesus goes down into the water and rises up to the declaration of his belovedness, and then the Spirit drives him out into the wilderness. For 40 days, a direct echo of the people of Israel wandering in their wilderness for 40 years. Jesus and the people whose journey his, his 40 days recalled were met with testing and humbling. They were also met with strengthening provision and guidance, offering us assurance of the presence of the Spirit in our own wilderness experiences. Whether that wilderness experience is an internal and private one or a corporate one which we enter together. Places where the path forward is uncertain and normal structures that we rely on are absent. Places where we wonder if we have the capacity, the imagination, and the strength of will to keep going forward and find our way. This brief story with the echoes of the earlier one reminds us that wilderness, no matter how long and uncertain, does not go on forever, and that though we may feel isolated and unsure, we are not left alone. Just as the people were led by cloud and fire and fed with manna, just as Jesus was tended by angels and accompanied by wild animals, who I think were tender-hearted ones, <laughs> but more on that in another, another time. Just like them, we too, in our wilderness, as individuals, as a congregation, as a community, will receive guidance and provision. It makes me wonder, in these days, what do we need to release? What is holding us down? It's a, a Lenten question for us as individuals. What is holding us back from living our full lives? Are there diversions in our life, things meant to be momentary, distractions, that have instead distracted us from our whole life? I may be talking personally about my cell phone. I mean that in a humorous way, but also quite sincerely. What has my phone done to my life? It's a thing for me to think about this Lent. Are there things in our past, are there burdens of shame that we are carrying for things we cannot undo and we need to release into God's care? Things we need to offer up to God and let go of and not carry our shame around with us. Is there any narrowness of vision that we need to turn away from? Do we have timidity and insecurities that keep us bound and inactive instead of free to be who God created us to be in and for the world and for our own wholeness and joy? The season of Lent beckons us to let them go and to be with Jesus in his solidarity with us.
And as we look back on this fraught time in history, when the world seems so precarious, how will we tell the story of these days and how we lived through them? When we look back, will we say, in those days, we... What will our story be as individuals, as a community, as a congregation? In these days, when the whole of Christianity seems to be standing on the edge of a precipice, when churches of every kind are closing across the country, when the dominant Christian voice in the public square is one that demeans and excludes and harms our LGBTQ siblings, when the dominant voice has aligned itself with white Christian nationalism, a version of Christianity that conflates the Christian teaching, the gospel, with the identity of the United States. When one co cohort has proclaimed themselves the arbiter of what it means to be Christian and believes that it is their job to enforce that vision of Christianity on the whole of the country. In these days, when book bans are on the rise and the same people who threw rocks at Ruby Bridges as she walked her brave path to school now want to ban their children from learning about the rocks they threw. When we look back at these days, what will we be able to say that we were up to? What false narratives about Christianity did we unearth in ourselves? Were there false narratives about Christianity in the public square? And did we deplore them without answering them with a more joyful, liberating message? When people in their hundreds and thousands are deconstructing the limiting faith they grew up with, how are we supporting them, welcoming them, learning from them? How are we offering them solidarity and companionship wherever their journey takes them, whether it brings them to our door or we help them on a, their path somewhere else entirely? And of course, when our American tax dollars are going to fund a genocidally disproportionate response to Hamas in Gaza, are we allowing our confusion about the long history of that place to silence our voices calling for peace and justice? We in our little congregation, like churches all across America, are in a liminal place, a time between the familiar, loved past and an unknown future. It's a scary time and it's a rich time. It can be a creative time, a fertile time. When we look back at this time, will we tell a story of God's spirit upholding and sustaining us? Will we tell the story of how we embodied the realm of God in courage and creativity? As we enter the season of Lent with our hearts full of gratitude for every good thing and our hearts full of worry and angst for the world, let us come up from whatever is binding us with the Spirit's words ringing in our ears giving us courage for the joyful living of these hard days. Beloved, beloved, beloved. Amen. Listen, listen, listen.